Maybe it's because I come from a Web2 mindset. Maybe because my friends do. But every time I talk about what's exciting for me about DAOs, my friends ask me, what can a DAO do that a company can't do? What can an organization of people, or more like in their imagination, a disorganization of a lot of people do that one person fully determined with a clear vision and an ability to rally people and money in the bank, what what could they do that this one person can't do? In other words, what they're asking is, is this new organizational structure of a DAO really as effective as an LLC or is this some other crypto nonsense that Andrew's excited about? That's That's what people have asked me. And truthfully, I sometimes answer well and sometimes I answer not so well. Then I did this interview with the creator of Bankless DAO, and I had a clear answer for them. You're about to meet an organization that was working well in an LLC way. They were a publishing company, five people. I did the math in this interview. You'll see it. They were doing about $5 million in revenue. And getting their message out there, talking about how the world should move to crypto, how, um, well, the whole Bankless message, which you're going to see a little bit of in this interview. And they were doing well at it. And then they decided to form a DAO. And Lucas was the one who championed it, the one who who brought it up. And I know that just saying that one person championed, one person brought it up is wrong in a DAO. It's obviously a collective of people. Still, someone in this case stood up and said, this is a good idea. And what you'll see is by forming a DAO, by giving more power to their people, by creating what to the outside world might seem disorganized, they were able to be a lot more organized and create a lot more than the company itself could create. I mean, I asked Lucas how many publications this uh, bankless DAO has, and you'll see him struggle. He doesn't know exactly how many. And then he started talking about what happened beyond that. Yes, there's an educational academy that they couldn't have put together with this speed if they were just running as an LLC, but the DAO was able to put together. And they were able to add a consulting company, and they're growing. And as you'll see at the end of this interview, I ask him if at some point the DAO that he created will eventually buy the LLC that they started out with. And we're kind of laughing at it, but we're very serious when we talk about that being the potential and that being the future. All because this one company decided that they were going to create a DAO. So if you're like me, and I didn't even introduce myself. My name is Andrew Warner. Um, and if you're like me and you've been talking about DAOs with people outside the DAO world and you're looking for an example to give them, I think Bankless is a great one to give them because this is one that everyone will understand. It has clear upside for all involved. All right, enough of me introducing it. Listen to this great interview with Lucas Campbell, the, can I call him the founder? Sure, of Bankless DAO. And this podcast is presented by Origami, which helps ambitious communities launch and grow DAOs. Let's get started. What is Bankless DAO? Bankless DAO is a tokenized community built from Bankless HQ, and they effectively have a mission to help contribute to the Bankless mission, which is bring a billion people onboarded into crypto ecosystem, get a wallet, all that stuff. They do this through a handful of different ways. There's culture, media, education. Bankless DAO has a handful of media publications that they start writing from. They also have cultural stuff, so like NFTs and merch. And there's also educational stuff like Bankless Academy, where they're literally helping people educate on Web3. Those are kind of like the three different prongs, but 
I think overall Bankless DAO is a tokenized community that is actively contributing to the Bankless mission of onboarding people into crypto. And Bankless is a publication that existed before the DAO. Their mission was to onboard a billion people into Web3, into crypto. And they were going to do this by writing content. They had a great newsletter. They're known for their podcast, et cetera. If that was already working, why not say, you know what? Bankless is a good media company. We're fulfilling our mission. Let's just keep going with this mission and double down. It was you who came up with the DAO, as I understand it. What made you, Lucas, say we should create a a DAO? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. I think the biggest, probably the main point there is we can't do it alone as a single media publication. At the time we were, you know, five people. It was me, Ryan, David, the guy that edits the podcast, Luke, and a few other like contractors that were helping around, uh, helping like with the media side. Um, and we couldn't do it alone. We had this massive community of people that were like interested and engaged in Web3, but they were just passive uh, consumers of bankless content. And what the DAO did is that it allowed them and gave them the opportunity to become active contributors to it. Um, and we realized that we could tap into that that human capital that was sitting there, that latent, hu- latent human capital that was sitting in our community and activate it to become active contributors and provide value and create new products, new media publications, new everything that helps people get interested in crypto. Help me understand what you saw as the tools that a DAO would give you to enable that. It gives us scale. It doesn't rely on a single entity to be responsible for creating all this content, creating, you know, onboarding all these people. Uh, It distributes that power to the community and allows them to be active voices. So I think really at the end of the day, it gives us scale and much more power to achieve that mission at a quicker pace. But if I understand it right, it's also the token, right? Mm-hmm. That by having a token, you can, in the community can come up with ideas right. and then incentivize and fund those ideas using a token. Right. So the token is the key mechanism that turns the community from passive content consumers to active contributors, right? It is the incentive mechanism for the community. Um, and through that, yeah, Bankless HQ, uh, kind of went with a novel way. We never sold any of the tokens. We never really raised any money. We actually have not made a single dollar from Bankless DAO yet. Um, we are just net passive holders of the token and are there as like collateral of last resort and there to help achieve the mission. But yeah, I think the token is a key mechanism that allows the contributors um, to be active and be uh, dedicated and get involved. Um, without the token, it, that is like none of the magic happens. So there is like, an incentive for Bankless HQ to be a part of it. Um, we went around it. Like I said, never sold a token. We actually didn't bestow us any tokens to start. Um, one of the first proposals there was the was a Genesis proposal. And we effectively airdropped all these tokens to the community and was like, hey guys, like we just did this for you. We want to be contributors. And would you guys be okay if we received an allocation, right? Um, and that was about 20 to 25% of the total supply. Um, and really, we've just been investing that on the same schedule as the DAO, as a community treasury, and really are just being net holders of it right now and stewards um, for the bankless mission. So the token comes with a way to fund the work that's being done in the community, but it also comes with governance power, mm-hmm. which is a vote on what the DAO should do. Right. Can you give me an idea of what DAO members have come up with that you couldn't have come up with if you took the more traditional Web2 route, which is to say, look, we're a media company. We have a mission. We've shown that we can get traction. We would like funding. And if we get that funding, we'll come up with great ideas and we'll fund those ideas Mm -hmm. with this money that you investors give us. And then we'll make a profit and we'll grow. Mm -hmm. 
Lucas, what's an idea that you and the founders couldn't have come up with? Yeah, so I think it's first really good that you highlighted that the main utility of the bank token is governance over how the treasury gets um, distributed and what projects get funded. I think that is pretty much the core for any DAO, right? At the, at the base, it's a DAO is a mission with a shared treasury and people coordinate around the treasury to achieve the mission. To answer your question on like stuff that's come about since um, we've launched the DAO, I think one bankless DAO has launched about four to five other media publications. So written media publications, about four, I think like maybe two to four other podcasts. It's pretty tough to keep track of everything. Um, but right off the bat, there's a lot more content, a lot more educational content that's being produced from the community. And then there's also been like really awesome novel products that have spun about. Um, one that I want to highlight is Bankless Academy. So this is a, an educational product um, that effectively gives you lessons and modules to kind of learn about crypto from DeFi 101 to blockchain basics to managing a non-custodial wallet. Um, and they've done a phenomenal job. And like we have com been completely hands off on this. Um, so if you go to like, I think it's banklessacademy.com, uh, you'll kind of see the UI and it's absolutely gorgeous. They're using like PoApps and leveraging soulbound tokens to reward people. Um, I think just overall like that team that has spun out of uh, Bankless DAO, Bankless Academy has done a stellar job. I think another one worth highlighting is Bankless Consulting. So there's been a consulting group that has spun out of Bankless DAO um, and they're very aligned. Um, they have tons of clients right now that they're working with. And that's actually funny enough, we Bankless HQ, which is uh, the media company, actually hired Bankless Consulting to help with us on some Web3 stuff that we were working on. Um, so it was actually really funny and honestly poetic to see Bankless HQ tapping into the community and tapping into the projects that the community has built to help us and to build value and to achieve that mission that we all share. More media, more educational products, service DAOs. Um, I think overall, it's just been absolutely insane to see what the community has come up with over the past like year and a half that we've been around. You know what? And if I were to compare you to say Morning Brew, which is a Web2 content company similar yes. to Bankless, if they had done all of these things, it would have been completely distracting and confusing right. for outsiders. Mm -hmm. And here you're able to do it faster because I've heard DAOs described as like an octopus mm -hmm. with lots of different tentacles and each one can operate on its own, but they're all connected back to the main organization. So you had this idea, you brought it to the two co-founders of Bankless, Ryan and David, and their immediate response to you was what? Uh, probably no like the first few times, uh, I think, uh, it took a while for me to really convince them that this is the right move. But yeah, I think Ryan and David were pretty, you know, happy in podcast land and just recording podcasts and didn't need to necessarily do anything like, you know, the business was doing really well, like business was growing. Um, there was no need to kind of overcomplicate things, but the ability to tap into this community and like empower them really just set a new precedent and a new standard that your community is not just passive people that are going to read your content. They can be active contributors. They can get involved. They can provide value to what you guys are building. And I think um, that was really important. And I think that's kind of what sold them over the line. Okay. And so once you decided that you were going to do a DAO and you all committed to doing it, you said you created tokens and then you gave them to some of your members. <laughs> what was the process for giving them out? Yeah, so I think the first step was to identify who the on-chain bankless community was because um, we can only airdrop to things that are on-chain and we wanted to distribute that ownership to the community um, that existed. So really, there were two main mechanisms that we had that we could identify. The first one was bankless POAP, so bankless premium memberships. 
Um, whenever you signed up to a Bankless HQ premium membership, you were eligible to collect a POAP, um, which is a proof of attendance protocol. It's like a little NFT and effectively that was one indicator. So we had a 2020 badge and we had a 2021 badge. So every year we distribute a new Bankless premium membership badge. And that was the first indicator of an on-chain community. So if you not only were reading Bankless, but then you subscribed to it, and then you actually went the distance to collect the POAP on-chain and collect your address, that's really what rewarded you. And the other key mechanism that we had was donated to Gitcoin grants. So um, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but Bankless in its early days was completely funded off of Gitcoin grants or primarily funded off of Gitcoin grants for the first about six months or so. Um, so anyone that contributed and donated to us during our early days also received an allocation of the airdrop. What's a Gitcoin grant? Gitcoin grant is a public goods protocol where people can donate to up and coming projects um, that are not necessarily VC backed, have not raised money or have a token or anything like that. So it's effectively like grassroots projects from the community that people can donate to. And there's a cool mechanism called the matching pool or quadratic funding, quadratic funding, where it's not the amount that you donate or effectively quick setback. There's a pool of money, right? And that pool of money gets allocated to different projects based on the number of contributors or number of people that donated to your project. So not the amount. And effectively, this creates like a weighted distribution where projects get funded much more than the are donated to based on the amount of people that were interested in donating. When you say that there were people who had a membership to Bankless, what were they getting for the membership? I've heard podcast listeners who had subscribed to premium. What were they getting, whether it was that or some other aspect of premium? Yeah, so the POAP that um, they received was just kind of like a cherry on top thing. I think the main benefits, um, we do a handful of, um, first of all, like most of the content on Bankless HQ is entirely free and uh, available for anyone. But a few things that we do, we do do like early access to some of our podcasts every week. Um, you do get an exclusive debrief. So following like our Monday episodes, Premium members get a little debrief with Ryan and David about like just talking like candidly about the episode and how it went. We also do a pretty detailed mar market Monday report. So every Monday we do a full report kind of highlighting the best opportunities, the best yields, the trending project, what we're even buying, sorts of stuff like that, as well as like key news links that you need to just stay up to date in this crazy fast moving world. So that's just a few of the benefits that people get. And then, yeah, as I said, that POAP was really just a cherry on top. That was like kind of just like an on-chain little fun thing that you get to collect um, for being an HQ subscriber. Mm -hmm. Basically proof that you had subscribed. And then when you decided to create a DAO, you said, okay, we'll take this POAP, which stands for proof of attendance protocol. Anyone who has one clearly has supported us in some way. We are going to give them tokens in this new bank, bankless DAO uh, that we're creating. The token will be called bank. You gave it to those people, and then you said, we took none for ourselves, even though we clearly contributed. We didn't give any to ourselves. Now that you have voting power, we would like you to vote to give us some of these governance tokens. And the community overwhelmingly said yes. And I think it was, what, 25% of the tokens that you were then allocated as an organization, not as individuals. Am I right? As an organization. Um, okay. And then, yeah, the community received the remaining 75%. Uh, through the airdrop or vested in the community treasury that they control. Lucas, before all this, how big was Bankless? Like revenue-wise and audience-wise, where was it before the DAO? Uh, I got to look at the stats. Um, revenue, I'm not sure if I can speak to. I don't really have too much context on that. Um, I, I mean, I have high-level numbers, but I think generally we were a team of maybe like five full-time people. 
Um, so me, Ryan, David, Luke, and yeah, a handful of contractors that were on the team. And then outside of that, we maybe had like 50,000 subscribers at that point, free subscribers, and then a handful, maybe like 5,000 paid subscribers. Um, so that was kind of like the, okay. the total community at the time. And paid subscriptions were how much? I think at the time it was $22 a month. Meaning about 100,000, 110,000 a month in revenue from the paid subscribers. I think you also had advertising if I, yep. if I remember yep. right. You did. And then today, were, are you able to see clear growth following the Dow or has the Dow distracted? Where are the numbers now? Yeah, I think that there was a ton of inbound interest just overall in Bankless. Um, after we launched Dow, we definitely saw a massive spike in just like free signups, paid signups, everything. Um, because people were really interested in the tokenized aspect of what we were doing. Um, so if we were at 50,000, I think right now, uh, free signups were probably at 225, 240,000, somewhere around that. So we wow. probably five X. So five yeah, so X. Probably five X. And then I think on the paid subscriber growth, it's probably similar, like maybe a three, another three to five X on paid subscribers as well. And Lucas, my understanding is partly, yes, you got a lot of attention for creating a DAO, but I've noticed other publications that I won't call them out by name had also tried to create DAOs. It didn't get them the attention that you got. It didn't suddenly draw people in. What you did was different. It worked because of something that you did that I want to learn from. I just pounded the desk, which you're not supposed to do when you have a mic attached to the desk. So I want to understand that. But I also want to acknowledge that it's more than just the initial pop from, hey, look, these people who are writing about crypto are actually creating a crypto project. It's also that all the media that came out of uh, Bankless DAO was good for the overall brand. It's in some ways, I'm frustrated that you use the same name for the DAO as you did for the LLC, Bankless. It's so confusing when I talk to people. But in other ways, it must have helped because you have all this content out there pointing to the name Bankless. And it's going back and forth where the LLC gives uh, positive vibes over to the DAO and the DAO does the same for the LLC. Am yeah, I, right? I think absolutely. And I think that's definitely one of the the key factors that um, maybe why Bankless DAO is succeeding other compared to other media DAOs um, is the vibes. I think the community is just like super dedicated and that is always the X factor no matter the project um, is the community and how dedicated they are um, and how avid and like how alive they are. And I think that's what we got right. And I think that was... Honestly, hats off to Ryan and David. I think that they pioneered that and built that community um, from the ground up. And then the tokenization of it really just was the the fuel and the steroid for the growth. Let's understand why. I, I have one theory from the beginning. I think you wrote once that a DAO needs a strong mission. The other content creators were more like, let's all dabble together, where you at Bankless had a clear mission. One billion people on Web3, you clearly believe in it, your audience believes in it. The DAO now helps empower them to carry that mission forward with you, right? Yep. Right? The others are just like, let's love Web3 and we're going to give you the news about Web3. It's not the same. What else? From the beginning, let's take, go to the early days. What did you do that got people so fired up and made this DAO successful in the beginning? The big thing was we gave a lot of ownership to the community right off the bat. So when Bankless HQ asked for that 25%, the community already had 30% liquid from the airdrop. So they already had a massive ownership in it. And I think when you give a community a lot of ownership, um, there is going to be a handful or a subset of people that are completely committed to that mission now because they have that level of ownership in the DAO. And maybe that was the mistake that other media publications didn't do 
um, is that they didn't give enough ownership to their community off the bat to make them be like, oh, wow, this is really cool. Like I should dig into this more. And even if only like 1%, right? If we airdrop to, I think it was like four or 5,000 addresses, if 1%, if 40 people are keen, like that's already 10x what the Bankless HQ team was, right? Like you only need 1% of those people to be like the the power users and the power contributors that are like going above and beyond. Um, and we actually saw that. I mean, we've hired like a handful of people from the DAO that were just like all-stars, right? And we brought them on board, you know, they helped work at HQ through, you know, writing or like design and all this stuff. So um, I think the X factor was the ownership and the level of ownership and the brand equity that we had. And I think the combination of those two was really the the fuel that uh, allowed Bankless DAO to succeed to the level that it's at today. I don't think this was true with other media properties, but it seems that a lot of people want to come into DAOs so that they could not pay money. And so they want to create mm-hmm. tokens just to give people tokens the way that some of the little arcade stores right. around here might give kids tokens if they play mm-hmm. and get points. And you're saying from the beginning, we fully committed to this. We gave our name to this. We gave the full ownership of the DAO. We really mm-hmm. gave these people mm-hmm. power. What else? What else did you do to keep things going in the beginning? It was definitely when you have thousands of people flooding into a discord with like a very broad mission, it was very hectic to start. And, you know, shout out to the handful of contributors that really stepped up and like, were like, okay, took the reins on this and really got our operational like, uh, chops, like dialed in. Right. Um, I think the operational aspect of it was really tough at the beginning and it was very hectic. And I think that we saw a lot of people just burn out of it off the bat, but I think overall, like. Yeah, we set the operational standard. Everyone's kind of aware of what we're doing. The mission's broad that in the sense that if you have an idea, you can probably get it funded by Bankless DAO as long as it's mission aligned. Um, And I think that really just that open design space allowed the communities that those thousands of people to do a lot of stuff. It gave them a lot of optionality to do what they wanted to do. And I think that openness, that level of ownership, I think just overall just allowed people to take this in the direction that they wanted. And uh that's why the vibes are so where they're at and so high and so um, well-known. The onboarding process, where did that come from? Because it is chaotic to get into Discord. Even if you know how to, how to find the right place, it's kind of awkward to start jumping in and, and talking. Um, frankly, even getting an NFT into a wallet and using the wallet to get tokens and using the tokens to get access to the private Discord and like all that stuff is very confusing for people. Who recognized that that was going to be a problem and then worked out an onboarding solution? Yeah, I don't think it was definitely me or anything. So I will not take credit for that. I think we were pretty uh, bare bones with the initial onboarding process. But um, there was a group of contributors that started First Quest, and that really kind of ironed out the whole onboarding process to make it very seamless and very um, not fire hosey, right? So coming to the Discord, there's about 100 plus channels, like where do I start? I think the first quest onboarding experience um, really smoothed that out and really made it digestible for the community. So shout out to the team that was responsible for that. What is that? I see that even to this day when I go into Discord for the first time. What's the first quest, the first thing you're supposed to do when you come in? Yeah, so I think uh, first quest overall is just like the onboarding flow when you join the Discord. It helps you organize, okay, here's the mission. Here's like how this operates. There's guilds, there's projects, um, seasonal stuff. Uh, helps you connect your wallet, get verified on Colab land to get access to the full thing. Um, and really just kind of breaks down the whole process and like the mission and gets everyone aligned on the same page pretty quickly. 
Got it. It was just you. Someone said we're going to tell people what to do as soon as they get here. We're not going to assume that this is just Discord. They can figure it out because all the channels are named properly. Right. Okay. What about beyond? Um, did you do anything to teach people how to write proposals? Did you do anything to encourage certain proposals? You're nodding. Tell me a little bit about those early days. The first thing that we set up was seasons, the concept of seasons. Um, so effectively, these are three to six months periods where there's a batch of funding that comes out of the treasury and that gets distributed to a handful of the guilds that are verified along with a handful of projects that the community is interested in funding. So that was like the first step. So every three months right now, the main treasury distributes X amount of bank to projects and guilds within Bankless DAO. And that was the first kind of like major operational thing that we set up. On top of that, we set up a grants committee for a brand new projects. So if you just have something that you wanted to get funded off the bat, you can go through that grants committee process during the season at any point. And once you get funded by the grants committee, that allows you or verifies you to become a full project and get seasonal, direct seasonal funding. Um, so those are kind of like the two main operational things that we just got done and locked in pretty quickly um, that helped like just give direction because as I said earlier, a DAO is just a mission in a shared treasury and people coordinating, coordinating around the treasury to achieve that mission. So setting up the operational flow for how to coordinate around the treasury was definitely the first step. And what were the initial committees that you set up? You set up treasury and what else? Um, so there's the main bank with DAO treasury and that's just a seven of eight or seven of nine, I think, multi-sig or five of nine. And that is the main treasury. And then there's a grants committee that gets funded from the the main treasury every season alongside different projects and different guilds. So projects are uh, effectively like a, like the sound projects that come out of Bankless DAO, whereas guilds are more of like talent pools and like talent coordination hubs, where if you are a developer, you go to the developer guild and you can kind of get familiar with the other developers. You can kind of point you in the right direction of like where to get started and what projects you need to kind of like allocate or like vet your skills and all of that stuff. So the guilds act as like these talent hubs and talent coordination mechanisms. The projects are kind of like the end goal or the end products that we want to share with the, the world. And then the grants committee is kind of the cohort of people that are funding like these brand new projects that are just getting off the ground. I might be able to get a grant as someone who's in Bankless by suggesting that I could put together a conference and it would have a certain number of people, certain speakers. Right. I just write the whole proposal up. Maybe yep. someone else in the in, in the DAO would help me do it. I offer it to the grants committee. They vote on it, right? Is or is it, it the whole DAO that has to vote? So you have that? to get um, soft signal from the community on the forms. Um, so you have to pass a poll of like 70% and like 40 plus votes. We have a quorum effectively on the soft polls based on the funding allocation that you're requesting. So if you're requesting 100 grand, it's obviously going to require a higher quorum than if you're requesting 500 bucks to do this side, small side project. Okay. Um, so you do have to get soft consensus from the forms. And then once you have that, you can go to the grants committee and the um, effectively finalize that and give the stamp of approval and ask any like limit questions that might be just of concern for the community. This is all such student body government stuff. What I see when I look at Bankless is people who are saying we hate, we hate the financial markets, the financial system. We hate the tech companies that control our names and photos and everything else. And we have a passion to create a better version of that. I don't really see a lot of student body government nerds in, in crypto, but all of this is such student body government nerd stuff. Where's it come from? 
Yeah, I think uh, it's definitely been a learning process for one, but there's definitely like shout out to Frog Monkey, who's been one of the all-star contributors that helped really set up a lot of this stuff and was definitely the operational brain in the early days of Bankless DAO. He was actually hired at Bankless HQ and he's now working at Uniswap. So he's just an absolute all-star, like very talented guy that we didn't know about. And he just came to the DAO through that airdrop and just started contributing and had this massive operational like vision. Um, and he really set up a lot of the standards. So uh, shout out Frog Monkey for, for all the help and work that he's done. Eventually, I guess every DAO is going to have to have someone who is that kind of a person who could help bring structure to this big group. And once you set up structure in the beginning and make it flexible enough, the, the group can organize themselves and adjust. What about you? I was trying to understand your background. One of the things that stands out for me about your background is that you're more of like, I don't know, maybe a finance nerd. You got your first Charles Schwab brokerage account at how old and what did you do with it? Where are you getting this? Oh, man, this is good. Um, yeah, so I think uh, background for me, uh, was definitely always very finance minded um, at an early age, was really interested in investing and went to school to study economics, was on and off with crypto throughout that whole time. And then junior year, I really fell down that crypto rabbit hole. And this is right. I was going into my final year of school. And at that point, I was like, look, I can either go work at, you know, the Fidelity or some normal company, or I can really risk it for the biscuit here and go all in on crypto. And I was pretty convicted on like what crypto was and the future that it held. So I was, look, I'm young. I can take this risk. Let's go all in on it. From there, started doing like ICO consulting with my good friend, Cooper Turley, Cooper Trooper on Twitter, who's now one of like the top music NFT people. But from there was definitely just doing ICO consulting because I was very interested in like token economic design, just naturally through my interest in finance and like economics. But I think we really found our niche uh, was writing for DeFi in about 2019 before it was like really big. And that's kind of, uh, again, was never considered myself a writer, but had that very financial minded um, interest. And uh, that allowed us to start a blog called DeFi Rate, started us doing a bunch of writing on like token economic designs as well. Um, and that ended up landing me my first job at at Bankless or the first employee at Bankless. And from there, I was didn't expect to ever be a media person, but here I am two and a half years later, still uh, helping with the newsletter and doing all of that. But yeah, I think just overall, I've had a really strong interest since I've started crypto in like token economic design and designing tokens and launching tokens. And um, I actually get that fix, not through just Bankless DAO, but I also work for a small group uh, called FireEyes that I co-founded with me at Cooper and at two other individuals, James and Callum. And we effectively work with project teams to help launch their DAOs and governance tokens. So we've worked with a handful of pretty awesome projects, Gitcoin being one of them, super rare. We helped design the ENS airdrop. We also did Optimism most recently and also have a handful of other clients that we're working with um, right now in the background. So I think just overall, this this the launch of the DAO definitely came from just my obsession of like, tokenization and like everything that can be tokenized should be tokenized at some point like what give me an example of what should be tokenized the big one that i'm really interested in right now is uh one the music nfts but i think media as a whole i think tokenized media is a very underappreciated area right now or just like slept on and we're starting to see the early starts of this um from smaller podcasts but definitely at bankless hq we're exploring what tokenized media looks like um and i think this the idea of this really creates a, an interesting dynamics where I think right now, Bankless HQ, we've talked about this, but we're a Web2 media company talking about Web3 and we are definitely optimized for sponsorships and like clickbait, right? 
let me see if I understand that. What you're saying is, look, we're using the software that is made for Web 2. Web mm -hmm. 2 is made for getting more clicks with whatever you need to do right. and then trying to convert some of those to subscribers of your email newsletter mm -hmm. and some of those email newsletter subscribers into paid customers. That's the mechanism, and you're kind of married to it because you started out using software that encouraged that. Right. You're, you're saying at Bankless, and you personally are saying, there should be a better way. And the better way is what? The better way, yeah. So I think to highlight a little bit more, like I came to Ryan and David, similar to how the Dow started. I was like, beginning of this year, I was like, guys, this is all great. Like markets are doing great. Bankless HQ is growing at a crazy rate, but there's an elephant in the room. We're a Web2 media company talking about Web3. We're talking the talk, we're not walking the walk, right? We live off Substack subscriptions. You can barely even pay for it in crypto. Like we've like barely duct tape a solution to make that happen. It's all closed source and we sell sponsorships. Um, this is very much a Web2 media company, but we are talking about this Web3, um, you know, this new frontier, this area of opportunity, and we need to at least be conscious of and make an effort to become more of a Web3 native media company. So how can we leverage Web3 to create new media business models or business models for media organizations? And that is kind of like set us on this new path of like, how do we do this? So right now we see a handful of different ways. I think the first one right off the bat is, uh, if you hold the bank token, so if you're a Bankless DAO member, you can just get a Bankless HQ membership, right? So like that aligns with the DAO a little bit more, um, creates more utility for the token and just opens up the door for a Web3 membership where if you hold a token, you receive the HQ benefits that we talked about earlier, whether it's exclusive content, early access, all that stuff. Got it. So in addition to selling membership using Substack the way right. that everyone else on Substack does. You're also saying if someone else holds a bank token, mm -hmm. they get access to the premium content. Even yep. though no money goes into Bankless HQ, which is the LLC, right. even though none goes to the to the old company, you still are letting them have access to the content. Yep, because like we talked about earlier, we have an allocation of bank and we're very aligned with the DAO and like building out mechanisms that help the DAO helps Bankless HQ through some Meaning the more people, like if someone listening to this decides I'm going to go and get some tokens so that I have access to their content and I could mm -hmm. always sell the tokens when I'm done with the right. content um, and hopefully have more money from it. That helps you because if enough people do that, the price of bank, which is the bankless token goes up and you're holding a significant percentage of that. And so you, you'll benefit later on from that. Okay, that's one way to do it. But how would other people do that? How would other people say, I see this model, I want this this new tokenized content approach? Um, yeah, I think every media company has the option to launch their own token. I've also seen the block has implemented something interesting or they're exploring something new with access protocol so that there is a pretty much a shared token. And that gets you, if you hold the token, right, you get access to the block and any other like uh, media organizations that are within the network. So there's like a, hold that token and access like premium benefits for a range of them. But yeah, I think ERC-20 tokens like media companies can definitely launch them um, if they can build around that model. The idea is if I launch one for this podcast, mm -hmm. anyone who holds it gets access to maybe say another 20 minutes of conversation with you and maybe an email newsletter with some mm -hmm. things that are private and things like, and my own research. I sell it once, I make my money, and the way that I get ongoing revenue for the years of work that I put in is what? Uh, through equity value. Just because the I hold on to some of the tokens and the more people value the tokens and the more the higher the price they sell it for, the better it is for all of us. That's it. 
no no yearly revenue coming in, no percentage of sales. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think that is um, one trade-off that you can make with tokenization. And I think it's important to highlight that that doesn't have to be the one-all be-all solution, right? That they, that could just be one. And if you wanted to pay with a credit card or maybe even just buy an NFT, that's another option, right? I think we had this existing thing, this existing token floating out in you know, the real world or the, on the Ethereum blockchain, and we can like leverage that token in different ways. But if you wanted to do a NFT membership, right, you could do the same thing where it's like, it's the same thing. You sell it and then that receives all the utility and maybe you're receiving royalties from secondary sales as well. Um, that's something that we're also exploring, but more in the lens of a super fan pass. Um, so rather than just a standard membership, we're exploring like NFTs as a super fan pass, where if you want like a God tier membership, to Bankless HQ, we can build out some perks and like content and stuff around that for you. Um, and that might be another avenue that you could subscribe and get um, access to Bankless HQ. By getting money up front, it gives creators some money to invest in themselves in their content. And then also it incentivizes creators to improve the quality of their work so that the token that's used to pay for access to it becomes more valuable. Um, I, I see that. And then I also see that if you have a token, then you can, or you're selling a token, your members can use it to access other uh, sites, other content. And so there's an incentive to create partnerships. Okay. I see that. Where else do you see the the tokenized world working? Yeah. I think um, the other big avenue that we're exploring right now is tokenized media. And I hinted about this earlier. But effectively, in the next few weeks here, we are looking to launch tokenized podcasts that users can collect of like prominent bankless episodes over the past few years. And I think this creates an interesting dynamic. And we I talked about this just very briefly, but right now we are optimized for content that is clickable and that content gets the most views because we have sponsors and we need to like optimize for those numbers. But what tokenized media and what Web3 or tokenized content kind of enables is it shifts that that thinking from, okay, what is the most clickiest content to what is the most collectible content? Doesn't it, though, encourage us to create content that reinforces people's strongest, firmest beliefs because that's what gets them to say, hell yeah, I support it. That's what gets people to stand up, clap, and take money out of their pockets to to align themselves with. Um, yes, I think that is the maximal version, whereas the opposite of that today is, you know, you're doing like this crazy, like disingenuous clickbait content just to drive that click. So I think that Yes, if you take this in the wrong lens and if you want to go maximally to one side of the spectrum or another, like there's definitely downsides to it. But I think overall, like creating this probably leans you on more of the side of like, let me create really genuine content that my community really loves and wants to collect. And I think that's probably more of it rather than let me create this content that just like resonates so hard with my community. And it's just like a echo chamber that they want to like, that they love it and now they want to collect it. I think that that, that is probably like, so far down the spectrum, maybe you're going too far in that sense. And that might happen um, in the maximal, like the full vision of Web3 Media, if it ends up propagating to what the levels that it is today in Web2, but definitely a different trade-off for sure. What other DAOs do you think the world needs? Where where have DAOs not touched that in your experience they should because the structure would do well there? Um, I think Gitcoin has the right idea in public goods, DAOs that are focused on maintaining, running and launching stuff that are public goods and free to use for everyone, no matter where they are in the world. I think that 
is definitely an under the radar area or somewhere that we as a community and like an industry needs to optimize more for um, in the coming years. Like what? What kind of public goods do you see it used for? Yeah, I think Gitcoin One is like probably the best example right now. I think ENS is another one where it's just a public domain service, right? New registered domain name. And that gives you, it's a public good, right? And all the money doesn't go to token holders. It doesn't go to investors. It just goes to a DAO treasury. Um, and that is that money's used to help maintain and grow the ENS ecosystem. So I think okay. public goods like that is really interesting. And uh, I would hope that we'll see more of those um, in different domains. What about this? I feel like if you were a Web2 entrepreneur, You'd have been mega rich by now because think of what you've contributed to this space. Think of how many people are willing to put up money to participate in what you've created, Lucas, as a capitalist who started out with a Schwab account that I think your dad might have even needed to sign for. Doesn't it make you feel like, well, I, I didn't get enough of the upside or I didn't get incentivized enough? I don't think so. Like, I think that there's plenty of opportunity in crypto and people like if you're here to maximize wealth. I think crypto is a great opportunity to do that. I don't think everyone is like that. I personally try not to be like that. I think above all else, my mission is to make Ethereum and make crypto grow and like have an impact on that and like have a better impact on the world um, and creating these systems that create more equitable, fair opportunities for everyone. And I think that is my MO. Um, if you wanted to do that, in Web 2, I think that there's plenty of money. And if you wanted to do that in Web 3, I think there's also plenty of money. I don't think it's a, I think you can have your cake and eat it too if you want to. I mean, we can go down the list of people that have built really valuable products in crypto and um, billions and billions of dollars. Yep. So um, I don't think it's um, a binary option. If Web 3 lives up to your expectations of it, what will it do? What is it that's driving you? Yeah, I think we talked about this a little bit earlier, but I, I really do not like advertisements in the current Web2 model for media. Um, mm -hmm. And I think if we can shift away from that, that is more engaging and more fun for the community, right? So like collecting those NFTs is a gamified experience where it's like, I can do this and let's say I collect 10 of them and I can take those 10 and now mint a super fan pass because I'm an on-chain just avid supporter. And now I get direct line to Ryan and David or something like that. I think that is really really cool and i think that is much more engaging and better for the community and more fun for the community than sitting through a minute of ads right on the podcast and it aligns your community's incentives with yours you're right. both now aligned with the goal of making the podcast a better product because you both own tokens mm -hmm. instead of one being the customer of the other and uh, the person who's getting the money has an incentive to make things mm -hmm. just good enough for you to sign up mm -hmm. and maybe not even great afterwards. Right. I think another like awesome aspect of this is like none of these, like all these web three options, none of them are sunk costs. And I think that is really nice right. where the sense that like right now, if you pay a Substack, Substack subscription, $22 a month, one way bridge, like you're giving it to Bankless right. HQ and like that's that. Whereas like these Web3 options, like if you hold the tokens or you hold the NFTs, there's always a secondary market for you to kind of uh, opt out and be like, you know what, I don't want this. And maybe you don't make some money. Maybe you just break even. Maybe you do make some money. Um, but I think the option of like, it is not zero. I can always recoup some costs as long as Bankless HQ is continuing to produce content and continuing to produce value that other people want. I think that option is really fucking nice for the community um, and for people that want to support the... 
in in startup land, that already exists. There are people who I used to think angel investors were putting in maybe twenty, forty, fifty, a hundred thousand dollars into a company because of all the advantages they got from being in it. Then I started looking at their investments. It might be five thousand. Sometimes these well-known entrepreneurs who seem to have done well for themselves are only putting in one thousand dollars, but in return for that thousand dollars, they get early access to the software. It's it's often free for life. They get commented on, complimented, supported, and then they also get support from the angel investor beyond the thousand dollars. And so they have that kind of relationship, mm-hmm. and that's what you're saying, and right. that's what excites me: the idea that that could then be brought to more people through a tokenized relationship mm-hmm. with the creators that they're supporting, whether those yeah. creators are software vendors or content creators. All right, we mentioned uh, the the price going down. I talked to one of your members. I actually talked to a lot of your members. They're fantastic people uh, at Bankless. But one said that they had to sell their tokens because when they got them. It was at a higher price than they are now. And then um, they get taxed at the higher price, which means they had to sell their tokens in order to pay their taxes. By the time they sold their tokens, token price went down and they they basically had to give up all their tokens to taxes. And that brings up just one of many issues that is coming up now where I think a year ago, bank was worth 25 US cents and now it's worth maybe one US cent. Some of the community has gone down because of that. Some of the incentives have gone down. What happens to Bankless DAO with that and to their members? Yeah, I mean, I try not to be too concerned with token price. Um, I think that is not like the metric you want to be optimizing for. To comment on it, I think just broadly, the crypto markets are down 60, 70, 80, 90%. So the fact that like token price has gone down, it's just a, a function of the broader market. It's not for your one. fault, but you still have right. to deal with people who then leave because they're not a part of it, right. making sure that others yeah. see that long-term vision instead of, how do you do that? Because I think that's going to be an ongoing concern for maybe content creators who are mm-hmm. now dealing with token holders whose token value goes down. Mm-hmm. And it's an important thing to do. What do you do? Like you have to rely on the fact that the community has the right vibes to maintain it. And I think that this is where communities build character, right? Um, is during these periods of down. And I think Bankless DAO as a community is doing a phenomenal job at it. Um, yes, of course, people are naturally going to leave because there's, you know, there's some degree of a price, you know, metric that people follow. But I think overall, a lot of people that are in the DAO and are actively contributing to it are there because they want to contribute to the mission and not because they're focused on the token price going up. And I think that's why every week, every Friday, there's still hundreds of people in our community call. There's still like, 15, 20, 30 slides of people like updating up, keep everyone on the products that they're working on. And I think that is what is important is the vibes of the community um, and not the token price. And I think the people that want to optimize for token price are obviously going to leave during these periods of down. And I don't think that that is um, specific to Bankless DAO. I think that is just broadly applicable to any community in crypto right now. But I think the people that are here for the right reasons um, stick around, have a great time. And, uh, yeah, I think like on the contributor payments, like we definitely are trying to transition more towards USDC payments for contributors so that they're not worried about um, selling tokens or like token price to pay for their expenses. Um, that is something that we're working on and that will kind of come about hopefully in the next year or so. Um, but it is definitely just a byproduct of relying on an ERC-20 token for payment, which sucks uh, during the the downtimes, but is obviously great during the uptime. So. All right. And so this is another reason why it just keeps coming back to, I think you must have used the word vibes five times, 20 times in this conversation. I think that's what you're going for. Almost like 
I went to a Warren Buffett Berkshire Hathaway annual meeting, and there's nobody sitting in that audience getting anxious when the stock goes down $100 or $200. There's a sense of in it for the long term, not looking to sell, in it because we believe in what we're doing. And if the market goes crazy, then maybe it's an opportunity for us to, to buy in. And you want to just keep creating that long-term connection with the with the members. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that is the most important part. And like every single project has gone through these down periods, even Ethereum. But you know what? At the end of the day, Vitalik, the Ethereum Foundation, everyone was still there building and like focused on the mission of like making a smart contract or a world computer, right? At the end of the day, the people that are long-term long-term oriented are going to succeed. And, you know, I think Bankless now is pretty fortunate where a majority of the community is there for the long term. And you think eventually Bankless DAO will be more valuable than Bankless LLC if it's not true today. That is the goal. I think when we launch it is the DAO should effectively, HQ should be a subsidiary of the DAO and not the other way around. Um, So I think at some point our goal is for Bankless DAO to eat HQ, have a bigger media publication, you know, all that sort of stuff um, that we're hoping for. And I think that they're on the right track. It just takes a little bit of time. Meaning a buyout by the DAO of the LLC. (laughs) That created it, right? Uh, maybe, yeah, that could happen. Um, Doesn't sound crazy. Yeah, I'm not signing the paperwork. That's Ryan and David, but uh, yeah, that could be something that happens <laughs> if it if we get there. All right, thanks for being on here. I'd love to in, to interview Ryan or David. Do you think they'd be open for doing an interview with me? Yeah, I can uh, definitely plug it to them and see what they think. I know that they're very busy um, right now. It's uh, pretty hectic at Bankless. We're definitely very heads down. We're launching that new website, doing all the Web three stuff. We're going through like a massive podcast and newsletter revamp. So we definitely have our hands full. So apologies if it's been tough to get in touch with them. It is also tough for me to get in touch with them if it makes you feel any better sometimes. (laughs) Um, And it's because it's the LLC that's going to be creating this new software that allows for tokenized content creation and ownership. Yeah. So we're definitely building on some of the shoulders of giants. So we're definitely using some tools that we have available. But yeah, we are effectively heads down building like this a whole new revamp of Bankless um, that you'll probably see more uh, in like end of Q4, early Q1, 2023. All right. Right on. Thanks for being on here. Awesome. Thank you, Andrew. This is great. Thanks. Bye, everyone.